Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us once again on LJN Radio for one of our more popular podcasts, I Want to Be A. And for each show, we end up focusing in on a different profession, bringing in experts to give you the inside dish on getting into the field and hopefully succeeding in it. I'm your host, Tim Muma, and today I want to be an aerospace engineer. Now, these are the men and women tasked with the meticulous designing, manufacturing, testing of a variety of aircrafts, aerospace products, that sort of thing to really ensure optimal performance and safety for everyone that'll be using them. We're pleased to have on with us today an experienced professional. Her name is Kim Hicks, a systems engineer with the Boeing Company out in Seattle, Washington. Kim, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You know, obviously I briefly mentioned uh, where you're coming from and your experience there, but if you could fill the listeners in a little bit more on, uh, on your career and what you bring to the table. Sure. So for, for my career, I, I started my career back in about 2005 as an intern with Boeing. And uh, I was able to work on the F-22 program. And then from my internship, I was able to get contingency offers. And then I went back and finished my last year of college and had several other offers and ultimately decided to come back and work for, for Boeing. And I came back uh, through a rotation program, which allowed me to rotate to three different uh, major programs to get a better feel for the industry over the course of two years before I ultimately decided uh, where I wanted to land. So I think um, from a career standpoint, that's that's kind of the progression in a nutshell of, of what I've done and uh, how I've ended up where I am today doing uh, rapid prototyping and design for, for Boeing. So, I mean, I guess you know, you say rapid prototyping design. Can you explain a little bit for the listeners who, you know, in general probably aren't going to know exactly what that means? What exactly are you doing when it comes to that? Sure. So what, what usually happens is we get... Um, a request from a variety of customers for a variety of different platforms, whether it's um, air-based or, or space-based. They want to see if, if this idea or if, um, what they need is, is possible. Mm-hmm. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll go through, we'll take you know, what they need, their requirements, and we'll, we'll try to design something around that. And usually it happens pr- pretty quickly. Um, design lifecycle can be anywhere from six months to three years, which is uh, relatively um, fast in the aerospace industry, whereas something you know, big platforms like your 787s and your your big your big planes can take uh, years and decades to develop and, and put out. So we're on a really tight schedule where we where we design and you get your your flush your first flush design out and and see if you know will the idea even really work. So it's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I and obviously it's something that I think a lot of people would be interested in, but don't necessarily know how to get into it. So hopefully that's where you can kind of fill them in with that. Now for yourself then, what, what drew you to the industry? What really attracted you to getting into this profession? For me, I'd have to say that the, the wonder and exploration of it all. Um, when I, I first became interested, actually when I was in about kindergarten, for me, it was uh, in 1986 and it was with the um, everything that happened uh, with the Challenger mm-hmm. uh, incident, not necessarily the Challenger tragedy and, and losing a space shuttle, but everything that came prior to that. Um, I was uh, in kindergarten at the time, and our, our school was very interested in, in this particular shuttle launch because it was sending a teacher to space, so there was all these different uh, things we did with school, and I just remember it making a lasting impression. We got to watch a lot of movies and, and shows mm-hmm. and do a lot of things in school, and that really sparked my interest, and, and you know, unfortunately... It ended in tragedy, but what was interesting are the impression that it uh, left me with was afterwards, we had all these people that came together from the aerospace industry to fix the problem and make it right, and how they worked very hard to do that, and it was like a sense of a, a very tight sense of family and camaraderie in that industry. So sure. that it was an impression that stuck with me, and I've been interested in the industry ever since. Well, that's pretty cool that, I mean, at that young age, it made that impression, and then not only... 
did you, uh, you know, try to pursue that, but that you're able to succeed in, in those ways. So that's pretty cool to hear that story. I, I think people sometimes think that doesn't happen, but to have someone like yourself, that's pretty interesting to hear. Now, for, your, for yourself then, again, we talk about, we can talk about the technical side of things and we'll probably get into a little bit, but how would you define your role then? Well, not necessarily just your role, but in general, the idea of an aerospace engineer what do you really see as your purpose and your, your main focus? For an aerospace engineer in general, uh, the roles that we, we fill are, are pretty, um, pretty broad spectrum. It, it can be anywhere from designing the structure of an aircraft or a spacecraft or, or some sort of like a hot air balloon or, or a, a blimp. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be something like designing a propulsion system and, and literally, literally being something like a rocket scientist. Or it could be deriving out what the requirements will be and making sure that all the systems will, will go together. So it, it can, it, there's a really broad spectrum of where you can fit in and different people have different areas of expertise in, I guess, calling within the aerospace industry. Um, and then it even goes down into designing the software that flies like the airplanes or that monitors the air traffic control or, or satellite or a ground station, things like that. So it can be any number of things. So it's, it's kind of like a jack-of-all-trades, and then you can specialize in a particular area that interests you. So it, it's, it's a really, really diverse field. Well, it definitely sounds like you can be involved in just about any process with it. Is that something that you decide when you're going through schooling? Is that more so you get into it as, as a general sort of degree, and then you, you pick your spots? How, how would you say that works out? I think, in general, how most uh, engineering schools work is you, you, you go in, and typically, you'll do um, core engineering classes that are, are common across uh, all fields of engineering, your basic um, math and science. Mm-hmm. And then usually after that, and after that, uh, making sure that you, you have the appropriate grades, you usually apply for um, a college of engineering. So, and then you, you go in from there. And then once you get into something like aerospace engineering, you, uh, you go through and take some basic classes, again, that cover a spectrum and, um, in that particular field of engineering. So basic aerospace classes. And then within that, you begin to kind of see what what things really um, uh, speak to you and what things that you really maybe passionately dislike and you want nothing to do with. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, everybody has classes that, you know, they, they really don't like in school. And, you know, and the same thing is true. And you tend to gravitate towards the classes that you, um, that really pique your interest in, the ones that you maybe do well in, the ones that, uh, that you really like. And then, you know, the same thing is true in aerospace engineering. So you start to kind of focus in on, on that. And then, um, whether you stick with academia or you go into industry, I think it will then morph again. So you might go into industry and have specialized in aerodynamics in, in school. And then once you're in industry, you realize how it's applied is maybe very different. And then it becomes uh, an even more specialized field, or you might take um, a different path altogether, mm-hmm. depending on, on you know what you like and what you excel at. Sure. Well, clearly, you know, there's going to be the the actual academic side of it where you're studying and researching that sort of thing. But are there other extracurricular activities? Are there internships that are necessary or that you would encourage that, you know, maybe some of the things that are outside the classroom that can get you more hands-on or get you some experience even before you get into the workforce? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, I think uh, internships, while not necessary, are incredibly uh, beneficial a lot of uh, engineering students will do either internships or what they call co-ops. A co-op is uh, where you'll go to school, you sign up, 
and that company will recruit you. And what you do is you go to school for a semester, and then you work in industry for a semester. Okay. School for a semester, industry for a semester, and it kind of rotates until um, your final year, which you will complete your final year in the hopes of then going to that company and working right. full-time afterwards. Internships, like most internships, usually the summer internship where it's um, three months, and you get to try out a company, and the company kind of gets to, to try you out. I think internships, what they do is they uh, allow you to network and open a lot of doors for you and also provide you with opportunities for contingency job offers where if you do a, a good job, the company will say, you know, since they've made this investment and, and shown you how the company works, that they'll turn around and they will say, hey, you know, if you go back and you finish your school and your education um, and you do unpackage your degree, we'll, we'll give you this job offer now. Hmm. hope that you'll, you'll come back. And that way you don't have to worry about that and you just need to worry about school when you go back. Would you say that's that's probably the, the most typical way that you would get into this this field or uh, maybe the best route at least? I think it's one of the better routes and probably a more common way, but definitely not the, the only way. Um, networking, who, who you know, is probably just as important. So joining um, professional engineering societies like um, Society of Women Engineers or the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics are definitely beneficial mm-hmm. and help you make those connections inside of industry or inside academia to help get you connected and, and get, get your foot in the door. Usually if you can get your foot in the door, then it's a lot easier to move around. Um, and then being able to um, have outside experiences outside the classroom where you have um, hands-on research projects. One of the projects I did was uh, the NASA Reduced Gravity Flight Opportunities Program. So it allowed me to, to do a research project and then actually design and build hardware and then got to go down to NASA Johnson, where we got to fly on um, what's commonly known as a vomit comet. They call it the weightless <laughs> wonder. And you actually get to, to fly on board with your um, with your experiment and conduct that experiment. Wow. And then get to understand, oh, so this is what it's like to float around in zero G. Right. This is what, it, this is what they mean that you, it doesn't take a lot of force. Or this is, you know, all those all those things that you learned in physics class, all of a sudden begin to click because then you get it. Right. <laughs> um, it becomes an applicable learning environment. And I think that that type of hands-on type research and um, do whether it's doing something like that or doing other research projects, doing a first robotics competition, something like that provides experience that a lot of people look for because it shows that you can apply what you learned outside the classroom into a practical real life problem. Right. No, that's uh, that sounds pretty awesome. Just to be able to have that experience, you know, especially early on, if you're looking to get in the field, uh, it definitely seems like something that could draw some people in. So hopefully those listening, they can uh, they can take that to heart. Now, you did mention something I wanted to, I just want to touch on it briefly. You mentioned the idea of networking, obviously, which is always important. And you did mention the Society of Women Engineers. And I, I didn't necessarily prep you for this at all, but, you know, we do a lot of shows, we do a lot of research and, you know, engineering is typically, in general, engineering is typically male dominated. Is it is it still that way? Is it that way with aerospace engineering? Do you see uh, sort of any inroads there? And we ask because a lot of times we hear about uh, whether it be women or men, depending on the industry, if they don't think there's a place for them, they don't apply. They don't look into it. What's sort of your perspective on it um, when it comes to, to the female population? So I think one of the stereotypes that go along with aerospace engineering is that I think I've heard it called um, that the industry is pale, male, and stale, um, <laughs> meaning that the, the workforce is highly, highly aged with a lot of people that are getting ready to retire. It's okay. predominantly male and not very diverse, culturally diverse. Right. And, you know, that's that's unfortunate, but I, that's the perception. I do see chain changes. I mean, there, there it is an aging workforce, and I think most engineering professions um, have the same same problem. 
where you have a, a significantly aging workforce and not enough people getting engineering degrees coming out of college and taking taking the place of the retiring engineers. Right. So I think it is uh, something that will be it'll it'll it's, it'll be slow to change, but it is changing. And I think it, the same thing applies for women in aerospace. Um, you're beginning to see more and more, and I, I mean even more so from you know my science classes in 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 high school to um, you know being one of only two girls in a in a fifty or sixty uh, person class mm. when I was going to college. When I go back and speak or visit my alma mater, I I, I see that there's starting to be a gradual change and it's starting to become a little bit more even. And same thing in the workplace, you're starting to see more women, um, and it's starting to be slowly starting to get more younger and more even even keel and not just this one one end of the spectrum. Right. So I, I think um, I think it's changing, and I think so long as women know that it's it's okay and they can do do this job just as well as um, other um, other men and they they embrace their you know what they've learned and they attack their careers in the same success they have for uh, and passion that they have for the whatever subject they're interested in I, I i don't think that'll be a hindrance to anybody going into the industry and i hope that it continues to change and go towards a more um, evenly represented population no and that, and that's exactly you know what we're looking at is I mean, from both sides, as you said, people are retiring. They need to get more fresh blood in there. And if, if that includes women, obviously, that, that's great. So hopefully, again, hearing you on here and, and understanding that there is a change happening will encourage more, you know, not just women, but as you said, just diverse individuals as a whole to, to enter into that profession. Going back to sort of your position itself and being able to talk from your experience a little bit, and I'm sure it changes. It can change daily, weekly, monthly, but can you give us a glimpse into what your typical day might be like and maybe some of the tasks you're looking to accomplish or some of the projects you're working on? Uh, yeah. So I think typically my, I, you know, I'm fortunate I'm in a position where the workday can be kind of flexible depending on what meetings I have lined up kind of dictates when I, when I come into work. If I know that I have a lot of late, later meetings, I'll come in later in the morning. And so that makes it um, nice and flexible from a, from a family standpoint. And I, I think, Based on that, you work anywhere from you know eight to five, nine to six. You know, it just it, it depends. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, if you're running a test and you're, if you're in a lab, then you might be coming in at six or seven in the morning to to run a test, or you might have to come and test in the evening. And I think it kind of depends on on what we're doing on what day. And I have a dynamic enough job where um, it it does fluctuate. You do have notice to to plan for it, and I think that's um, to me. I, I I I appreciate that, and I like having a dynamic work environment, but, you know, from a, from a day to day, we, there's, there's meetings and there's emails to answer. I mean, I don't think you can get away from any job uh, these days where you don't have to have to do the, right. the, the, the emailing and the phone calls and the, the responding back and, and kind of doing the, the quote busy work that, you know, the communication part of it, which is really important in any job is how we communicate. So there's that aspect of it. And then there's the engineering aspect of it where you come down and I do a lot of risk management. So I'll, um, uh, as the risk manager, I'll, I'll sit there and I'll look at our design, our solution, and say, okay, what are the risks to the to this design? What's the risk to our customer? What's the risk in technically achieving the requirements that they set forth and what they need this project to do? Is there a risk to the to the cost point that we set? Is there a schedule risk that you know if we don't get this particular part in, the whole schedule is going to slide? Mm-hmm doing a lot of that sort of analysis, also looking at that and then um, saying, based on these risks, how should we, you know, invest 
internal money to mitigating those risks and making sure that we can have, we can keep them on, uh, keep the project on task and on schedule and on, on budget point so that we end up um, giving our customers a quality product that they're happy with at the end of the day. A little bit earlier, you mentioned, though, also maybe running some tests, that sort of thing. What, what, what sort of tests are you actually performing or what, what are you trying to check out? Or, or maybe you're, as you mentioned, things with risk or if something will actually physically work. What are you actually looking at when you're, when you're accomplishing some of these? We do a variety of tests and it really just um, depends on what the project is and it, and it does vary greatly. So if you're, you're, if you're testing or building something that's um, maybe structurally based, so maybe you have to go in and see how that structure performs when you um, stress it. So mm-hmm. maybe you um, put it on a shaker table and you, you shake and see at what point it will it will break or, or uh, you know, or that it would, uh, that you can shake it a lot and then make sure that it doesn't warp the structure or that you can apply a lot of stress to it and that it's not going to break or what is the breaking point. Right. So you can find the, the, the operating limit. Or you might see, okay, well, can, can you operate this? How cold of an environment can you operate? Um, this product, how, how hot of an environment, if you're constantly taking this product in, a, in and out of um, hot and cold, hot and cold over and over, does it eventually break the product? Test like that. So test the, and test if it has um, an antenna, if the product has antennas, putting it, um, testing to make sure the antennas work and that you don't have uh, interference or that your, your antenna is performing as it should. Thing, things like that. So it, it, it varies greatly. Right. With that, we'll actually have to pause momentarily with our guest, Kim Hicks, a systems engineer for the Boeing Company, as we've been discussing the discipline of aerospace engineering on I Want to Be A. Now, you can pick up the rest of our conversation by heading over to localjobnetwork.com slash radio slash list. Just type in I Want to Be an Aerospace Engineer in the search box, and that will lead you to part two. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com just to let us know if you have any questions or suggestions for any of our podcasts. For everyone here at LJN Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.